Come gather ye friends around your bubbling cauldrons and listen to tales of horror, more horror, and deep-fried horror with a side of horror. Set aside your failing exercise routine and raise a fistful of mini refresher bars to your storytellers. For it is Halloween, and we bring you a tale to chill even the coolest of black cats. It's a tale that Tombo wrote for a gig we did at Whitby Castle. And it's terrifying. And that's coming from the guy who wrote the St. Hilda bit from last year's Halloween special. Oh God, is she here? Hide me. Get a grip. Yes, folks. A tale born from the mind of our very own Tombo. A dark place. Yeah, the shed doesn't have a light. And presented to you by... The Silly History Boys Show! <laughs> Scary. We hope you're all wearing your rubber pants. Have your affairs in order. And have finally got over the fright of last year's St Hilda Chillfest. Proper scary. Oh, you find everything scary. Ah, don't criticise me. It's scary. And take a journey with us for This Way Madness Lies. There once lived in old Whitby town a sea captain of great renown, who had oftentimes ruined the nefarious dreams of many a greedy pirate. The sea captain, Corcoran, had sailed for many years in His Majesty's Navy, whether it be long-winded voyages to capture stolen gold from the king's coffers, no doubt stolen in turn, fending off those pesky French, Dutch and Spanish ships, or circumnavigating his way around the British waters, defending her from smugglers. Although unrelenting to his adversaries, to his crew he was always kindly, almost paternal. He would always back his men whenever it came to matters of dispute. Take that back, you salty idiot. Idiot? You stop twisting words, you forked tongue snake, you. What on earth is going on here? Captain, Captain Corcoran, this fellow is, 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 is... Take a breath, Jerry. Oh, he's a liar, Captain, and a trickster-like Captain. Is that so? Listen, you. You were on my ship by my leave to trade with my men. And I'm trading, my good Captain, offering them good trade at knockdown prices. Aye, if we play your stupid riddle games, aye, he makes me skin crawl. That's the scurvy, Jerry. Get some lime. He's got them all. He's got all the limes. That I do. And we were trading. He's asking for an arm and a leg for a small box, boss. An arm and a leg and maybe a brain. <laughs> but alas, his must have put out to sea a long time ago. <laughs> Shut up, you, you big doyle. I'll kill you. I'll kill you, I will. Listen here, trader. Joe. We live in uncertain times, Joe. It is unjust and morally wrong to be gouging your fellow countrymen in times of need. I mean, look at him. I know. Scurvy Thursday, me best earner. Have some compassion, you little toad. My sailor Jerry here can barely mix a classic daiquiri. Me hands are so weak all the time. Nothing worse than a sad daiquiri. He has severe problems with his joints. Explains the brain fog. And he bruises like a peach. I have them too, by the way. Nah, he blew his chance, Captain. Your man here was complaining about the price of my limes. So I offered him a chance. He answers my riddle, 
and he gets the limes at a knockdown prize. I'd have given more than enough answers to satisfy, Captain. But all stupid answers to the simple question, what lies in the ocean and shivers? And I said, like a dishonest school of sharks, you know, sir? Like dishonest sharks, like lying in the ocean. An unfruitful, like, herd of sharks, Captain. A lying, a lying false frenzy of sharks, Captain. You see, I'm not stupid. Not stupid at all. I'm pretty bright-like. <sighs> not stupid, Jerry. Just obsessed with sharks. Like to get a rough ride of it, sir. And so did you, Jerry. What lies in the ocean and shivers? Yes. A nervous wreck. Quite a pathetically long back and forth for such a weak payoff, eh, Captain? Uh, it's like watching Jerry Flair mix on Cocktail Friday. Just very sad. I'll take my money for the limes now. You will not, you gross little beggar. How dare you? How dare I? You predators are all the same. Going in on all my young lads. Exploiting their ungodly fascination with cartilaginous fish. Eh? Sharks! Like a feeding frenzy. You, sir, you are the shark. An eater of man. Well, actually, Captain, in actuality, in actual fact, actually, sharks don't really like the taste of us. They merely like explorers with the mouths as we make with our hands. But the thing is, like, the mouths are full of teeth. Stop carping on, Jerry. Sir, that might have been a bit of an oversimplification, but it definitely wasn't carp. You're both full of carp. Eat cudgel, you swine. <laughs> yeah, you better run. Grab your limes, Jerry. It's happy hour. So forgiving and understanding was he that Corcoran stood in judgment to justify the actions of his men whilst ashore. But sadly, this naivety would be his undoing. When dangerous men press-ganged into service aboard the captain's berth. Who were taken from the Hulk ships. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Don't be silly. Who were taken from the prison ships. Better these dangerous men whilst ashore in France committed an act that was so indefensible that it would lead to the captain being relieved of his duties. Guilty! Take these men away! But, your honour, these men are desperate creatures and know not what they do. Do not try and defend the indefensible. So much touching! I didn't mean to touch, sir. Honest, me shark-like curiosity just got the better of me. I don't know how you conduct yourself where you're from, boy. But here in France, we show respect and honour the rules of the marché. We do not simply snatch at the fruit. More of a weak caress. Your honour, he really needs those limes. I didn't realise the polite thing to do was to ask the vendor. Well, I suppose we can overlook this infraction on the proviso that... Wait, what are those hulking brutes doing? Oh, them. Don't mind them. Just my new boys adjusting from their prison mindset. They're eating salad in a place of justice! Just a little started before the main course of meat and taties. Yeah, didn't eat this good on the old Hulk ships. You English heathens! A salad is a palate cleanser! You'll pay for your lack of taste and culinary failings! Don't make me hungry. You wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. Pipe 
down, you fool. Do you have any um, Lee? This tiny coffee's like rocket fuel. Abomination! Guards, take these men away and waterboard them with heavy cream. How dare you fly in the face of our delicious traditions? I don't plan to have a rich diet-related heart attack at 40, just so you oiks can boil grey meat and cover everything in tomato sauce. But, your honour... Silence, Captain Cochran. Now, as for you... I think I can take it from here, Your Honor. Ah, yes, Admiral Marvin T. Plot Forward of the King's Navy. The floor is yours. Corcoran, you're fired. So incensed was Cochrane to be unceremoniously dumped after years of service to the Crown, he immediately changed tack, to use a maritime phrase, and turned pirate. Within a few years, Corcoran had amassed a small wealth, and it was this wealth that would see him, his wife Constance, and their two daughters, Tess and Annie, live in comfort for the rest of their lives. That is until his untimely demise. And this section right at the back is the poop deck. <laughs> oh, Constance, really? I adore taking on your company for the occasional short voyage, but not if you're going to be all gutter-minded. Oh, stop being so straight-laced, darling. I know the word originates from the Latin poopus. Well, here we tow the linguistic line from the French word for stern, la poop. You're taking the piss dress there, Captain. <laughs> That's Latin for shark. So, it's not explicit, so don't give us a rating. Ugh. Jerry, meet my wife, Constance. Constance, meet my sailor, Jerry. Pleasure. Well, darling, your ship, Le Comédie de Constance, is such a vessel. Ah, yes, good old Comic-Con. I named her for you, my love. This convention of worrisome men isn't cheap, but that's nothing a bit of piracy won't solve. Uh, yeah, about that, actually, sir. Yes, Jerry, I know times have been lean. But I can, I can really feel my luck changing. There he is. Right, Captain Close-Fisted. What is it, Sailor... Um, Moon? Love your lusty boots, Sailor Moon. And great weave. We uh, spend a lot of time at sea, ma'am. You owe us money, Captain. Listen, Moon. I know, I know. As soon as we find the legendary silver crystal, you'll all get paid. We've heard it all before, and we're sick of it. Well, it's true. As soon as we locate it, you'll get your manga. What? He means wonga, as in money. I don't care what he means. Come here, you. Unhand me, you burly schoolgirl. I haven't spent the last six months cosplaying the seven seas to have you rip me off like a bad Captain America lookalike at a dodgy convention. If I won't get what I'm owed, I shall take your wife's shawl as recompense. Give me that, yoink! You're insane. It totally clashes with your eyes. You take my wife's shawl. And I take your life, you vulture. Vulture? Ha! I'll take that as a compliment, Captain. Keaton did wonders with that winged menace. Speaking of vultures, tis time to see you fly. Down, dog. Enough of your shallow fanfiction. Cudgel strike! Ow, me neck! Bit of claret to offset your new shawl, Moon. Are you sure we don't have time for a quick makeover? 
Hold your tongue, shrew. I don't care what you say. I'm making this work. I shall keep safe your shawl, madam. I only hope that you can swim. Now stand with your husband. Bind them, boys! No! You're sharp, Sean. Oh, no! And they're super curious! You You Really, chiefs! Constance and the captain had their arms and legs bound and were swiftly dispatched into the water. Their cries and gargled screams as the waves lapped about them fell on deaf ears. The new assumed Captain Moon's frenzied laughter all but drowned out the doomed couple's pleas for help as Corcoran and Constance thrashed and clawed at the air. What a pleasant gift this shawl will make. My wife shall enjoy this finery. What just happened? What are you gawping at, Jerry? Make ready the sail and glide us on home. Set to. Set. To. The very next day, the Comic-Con arrived and docked in the harbours at Whitby. No one will make mention of what they have seen me do aboard this ship. What happens on Comic-Con stays on Comic-Con. We won't tell your wife, sir. Don't be such a prude, Jerry. Whom do you think gave me the weave? If news comes forward regarding our fair captain's demise, I will seek you out. And only the devil will know what I've done with you. This is the worst Comic-Con since Bonnie Langford headbutted Sylvester McCoy on stage. Captain Moon sauntered gaily home, his conscience devilishly clear. Well, that saunter of yours is pretty... Horizon broadening and none of your damn business. Now get lost, you square. Honey, I'm home from Comic-Con. Well? Come, wife, I bring glad news. I have acquired a gift for you. Hey, better be Captain America's underoos, you little devil. Alas, no. I was so close this year, but his last-minute standing put up a hell of a fight. Ooh, can tell by your neck, looks sore. Still though, gift for me. Very kind, gimme. Ooh, snatchy. What? No kiss, my love. Gift first, then we'll see. Oh, wow. That shawl is truly remarkable. Made of the purest and most rare of silks. It's unlike anything I have seen before. So beautiful. I'm going to keep it for Sunday best. It's going to turn all the girls at church green with envy. And it's so versatile. You could wear it as a shawl, a headdress, a mask, perhaps. Don't tread on me, darling. I have rights. As night follows day and day follows night, Sunday came around and the pirate's wife gleefully dressed for church. Checking her reflection in the mirror, she looked forward to the difference the beautiful scarf would make to her dreary and well-worn attire. Oh, looking good enough to eat, honey. Oh, glad I asked no prying questions of me husband's suspicious uptick in wealth and status. He's always got a spring in his step when he returns from Comic-Con. Mm. Oh, right. All I need to do now is reach behind me for this completely normal shawl and... Uh, Yep, return to me everyday reflection in a mirror. I just ghost! As she turned back to the mirror to admire her reflection, her lusty smile slowly drained from her face. 
Her look of astonishment turned to fear, and then terror, as she realized the face looking back at her was not her own. The modest room, the drab interior, and the exquisite shawl draped elegantly about her shoulders remained. But the putrefied face of Constance Corcoran glared back at her. The pirate's wife was rooted to her seat in terror, opening her mouth wide to call out for her protector. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi! She discovered, to her horror, that her words trailed off and failed her. Indeed, the only sound she could now emit was a terrible, hysterical scream. At once, she scraped the shawl from her neck, screwed it into her fists, and launched it into the fire. Netflix burned Marvel's Iron Fist, which would probably have more to offer. Ah! Truly, the woman was now on the brink of madness. Surely, at that, the haunting would cease. But something compelled her to look back into the mirror. The face glaring back was mocking her. Despite its sunken eyes, gaunt complexion, and water-damaged locks, it was laughing, compelling the pirate's wife to laugh uncontrollably, maniacally in response. <laughs> oh no, I take back everything I said about healthcare professionals. I suddenly need a doctor. <laughs> Doctor Strange, Doctor Octopus, Doctor Doom. <laughs> no! Her sweaty palms reached for the mirror, and she threw it upon the floor, smashing the glass into pieces too numerous to count. On hearing the commotion, Captain Moon swung open the door. Wait, where's the acetone-based nail remover for me Trent Rosner's? Wait, wait, wife? To find his wife rocking wildly and clawing at her face, she turned her gaze toward her husband. Yeah. But she was not comforted by his presence, for in the doorway, instead of her husband, barring her path, stood the grave frame of Corcoran. Corcoran? Corcoran, who works for the Strategic Scientific Reserve from the TV show Agent Carter? Wife, are you cuts? Ah! That was the deepest of cuts. Again, she screamed. She felt herself drowning and grasped for air as her husband dragged her from the room. The shaken pirate, Sailor Moon, tried for several weeks to calm and comfort his wife, but to no avail. She no longer spoke to him, but laughed and cried throughout the days and nights to reruns of the Iron Fist. Eventually, heartbroken, he was left with no further recourse but to commit her to the asylum at Spittlebridge, where she remained, as days became months and months became years. Annie? Yes, Tess? The passage of time has been unkind, and things look bleak for us, younger sister. Oh, I don't know. Yes, it's been years since mother and father never returned, but... Father's savings are gone, and our debts are being called. And we have no money, yes. So, how is this not bleak? Well, Tess, we were lucky enough to scrimp together enough capital to afford a small dwelling here in Whitby. You are an intelligent and beautiful woman. I'm just 11, 
You can use all Father's teachings to earn a crust. Father was a pirate, Annie. No transferable life skills there. A nautical man is a nautical man, sister. I'm sure there are plenty of nautical men down on the docks who'd pay well for a circumnavigation of their... Um... Annie Corcoran, that is disgusting. Excuse me, Tess Corcoran. Crikey, word travels fast in a small seaside town. Yes, I'm Tess, and no, I don't do that. You are mistaken, Miss Corcoran. As you can tell by my voice, I am a sinister debtor. Quite. I couldn't help but overhear your situation. Yes, I've seen you prowling day and night in an attempt to write your books. I need more time. No matter how unfortunate your parents' demise, a debt is a debt and must be paid. How do you know our parents had a demise? And that it was indeed unfortunate? Um... Surely we can reach an arrangement. As I... As I said, I couldn't help but overhear your situation, so with this in mind, I'd like to place an order for a rusty yard on and a barnacle scrape with a Jolly Roger, please. Get out, you freak! Oh, I'll be back, Cochran sisters, but you may want to speak with a gentleman of my acquaintance before I return. Who's he, then? Oh, just some guy. An aging benefactor-type guy. Hello, my name is Benny Factor, and as you can see, I'm aging. <laughs> oh, I'm doing it right now. What? Is there a queue forming or something? A queue of one, and your only chance. Right then, I'm off. I'll leave you with this totally legit and not at all concerning aging benefactor man. Bye, Benny. That's his name. Benny Factor. Bullied at school. Hello, Tess. I'm here with a totally transparent and decent proposal. Oh, great. Good, my love. You have no need to worry. I alone shall take the debtor's burden from around your neck and place it squarely on my shoulders. Great stuff. Let me guess. All you ask in return is that Tess joins you in your big scary house. Bingo! You see? Totally decent and transparent. My God. Exactly. Before him, we will make a union, you and I, Tess. How is this even a thing? This is tantamount to selling oneself. I couldn't help but overhear your situation. But if you're willing to be down at the docks handing out flapping mainsails and a crafty keel, then surely this is a completely decent option. And... Totally transparent. Yes, you already mentioned that. It's like you're trying to convince yourself. Listen. We're in old history times here, and history people are awful. Marriage between an old man and a much younger maiden is not uncommon, nor is it frowned upon. I'm frowning hard right now, Mr Factor. Well, you're a child and nobody notices or cares. What shall become of my sister, Annie? Oh! Me! Oh, oh yes, didn't, didn't notice you there. Well, fear not, my sweet. Annie will be taken care of. Will she come to live with us in your house? No! Whoa! How suddenly indecent and opaque of you, sir. Oh, my, I, I didn't see you there again, little one. I have no provision for an 11-year-old girl. The child shall stay where she is. Sweet. 
Fridge party and no child lock on Netflix. Watch out for the Iron Fist is much worse than what your sister offers on show leave. Mr Factor, I need assurances. She will be looked after. You have my word. For the sake of our family's debt and to provide for Annie, I reluctantly decide to marry you. Oh, heaven smiles on us today. Send for the bishop. Oh, hello, Benny. Bishop, well, that were quick. Well, I was actually here for a discreet salty peg, but perhaps I could be of use in other areas. Then ease the queue forming. After the hastily arranged marriage, with no sign of Tess's younger sister Annie, Tess was whisked away to the big house on the hill. Now you are mine, dear. You must make yourself useful to me. The house will need a clean most days. I require me breakfast, luncheon and supper upon the table every day without fail. Do remember how kind I've been to you and um, the other one. Annie. Oh! Anyway, house rules. You may use the garden whenever you please, but you must come to the house whenever you are bid. You will know, for I shall ring the bell. This feels more like a prison than a marriage. You are my wife and will respect me wishes. On occasion, I shall visit you in your chambers. I am your loving husband, after all. From what the bishop tells me, I'll need a few weeks R&R after one of your fabled salty pegs. But, but, but... Not right now, woman. I haven't even warmed up. Aid me, wife. Do you want your darling sister to thrive or fall, hmm? <laughs> Tess spent that night in her room, sobbing uncontrollably. She had hoped to grow into womanhood with a husband of her choosing. All she wanted was to love and be loved in return. Instead, her days would be spent locked in a dreary house as little more than housemaid to her master. Her only solace lay in the garden. Every morning she would race to rest beneath a great willow tree and shed tears into the grass. <laughs> oh no! Now I've bummed the end. She was all alone, and she wondered if her dire situation would ever change. All day long she laboured in the kitchen, and every evening she cried under the embrace of the weeping branches of the willow tree. And at night she hardly dared sleep for fear of being awoken by the cold, mangled hand of her captor. Oh, oh my goodness, there's a lot of stairs in this house. And you know what? <laughs> Not wrong when they say this place is spooky. Damn terrifying, if you ask me. Well, <coughs> that's the stairs conquered then. I'm limbered up and nocktails, there we go, go. All I must need to do is reach out for the door handle and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn you, greasy hands! Oh, silly Benny. Should have prepped in the room. Oh, now the towel's all greasy. Damn you, water-based preparation ointment! Ah, oh, ah, now it's in my mouth! 
I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm not gonna lie, I'm spooked out by my own house. Oh, to hell with it. Thus far, she had evaded the awful experience, but the old man's patience was beginning to wear thin. Every night, Tess heard the handle of her chamber door slowly turn. She tried everything to avoid such a nightmare from happening. Feigning illness. Oh, not tonight, my love. I've got a bad case of the Whitby Wailing Waterworks. Oh, cover that art deco lamp immediately, you scruff! Ruddying herself with garden dirt to deter her husband. I'm up to drop me little- Oh, gross! What have you done? Just been playing a bit of rugger with Matron, darling. Fancy getting in on the scrum? What? Too dirty for you? I have no qualms with getting me hands dirty, but as the premium body of this piece and total historic dinosaur, you know I cannot abide women in sport! Good day! But she knew the time would come when she could not withstand his advances any longer. One particular day in the garden, she found herself by her favourite tree. Here she began to lament, as ever she did. <laughs> but through her sobs, Tess heard footsteps over the cloistered lawn. Her body froze with fright. She wanted to run and hide, but remained rooted to the spot with fear. She felt the presence of a man breathing heavily behind her. A hand reached over to grab her shoulder. Terror! Open hand job! Go! Go! Nay, lass. Be not so afeard. The name's Abe. I'm the gardener here. I heard you weeping and I came for a gander. Why have I never seen you before? Eh, well, these grounds are of a grand size. You'll have more than likely missed me. But I've seen you... Oh, nice sidestep to fake out Matron, by the way. You could probably drive more toward the post next time, though. I think, deep down, I'm afraid my kicking game is weak and I use acute angles as an excuse. So, you're not put off by women in sport? Nay, lass, be not so afeard. I'm sorry. I'm used to being alone. How difficult it must be for you. For days, Abe the gardener and his new friend Tess would meet under the Weeping Willow's canopy. They would swap stories and sing songs. Work on her foot placement and visualization. Tess told Abe of her parents' strange disappearance and how she married to save the life of her sister. Abe had no words. Perhaps he found the situation too sad for words. Lost for words, Abe. I know that my kicking foot should land on the ground straight after kicking the ball. This should help my body get through the ball and prevent me hyperextending my knee. No, Tess. I was thinking about your life and how difficult it must be for you. Not knowing from day to day where you fit. Not knowing who to trust. <laughs> Plus, I love the way your knees just flop about like that. Oh, Abe. You know just what to say. Tess had never felt such warmth before. Every day she and Abe would meet under the great willow tree. He would sing to her and hold her gently and work on, uh, you know, rugby stuff. Like the run-up, the strike and the follow-through. Yeah, you see, I know it's Halloween, but am I skirting the edge of decency a bit, Bob-Bob? 
That's fine, Uncle Bilbo. Besides, Halloween is a time for terrifying sights and goo. Anyway, all was not rosy up at the big house. From behind the heavy drawing room curtain, the old man would leer at the young couple. He kept a log of their training sessions. This union did not cheer his cold heart. Bah! This union does not cheer my cold heart! League! Now that's a man's game! That night, as he always ever did, the old man would, with frailty, rap against Tessie's chamber door. But this night, the door remained locked. Instead, Tess heard the clicking and bolting of several other locks upon the door. The young slave was firmly imprisoned in her room with no way of escape. Try as she might, Tess could not release the heavy oak door. She tried to force her way out until tiredness took hold, and she fell into a deep sleep. As she woke the next day, she noticed the sun was lower in the sky than before. Had she missed the best of the day? Had she missed her one release with her caring friend, Abe? She tried the door, and to her glee, the door swung freely on its hinges. She raced down the stairs and ran as fast as her legs could carry her, out across the lawns, through the orchard, and on past the meadow into the beautifully lush part of her garden. She stumbled hastily toward the willow tree, pulled back the familiar hanging branches, only to have her breath taken away from her. Like an illegal spear tackle. There, hanging from the branches, was the cooling corpse of her love, Abe. His eyes still writhing in their orbits. With grief, the girl fell to her knees. Abe? Oh no. We just found the sweet spot. No! The balance equator. As one would strike a golf ball straighter and farther whilst reducing hooks and slices. Now that's the sweet spot. Oh, settle on a sport, you elitist monster. You know Abe could never afford to golf that privileged pastime. But he didn't mind tending my fairways, did he? I will forever be a sand trap in your company, you cruel devil. You stupid girl! Look what you've done! This catastrophe is your doing! Now you must live the rest of your days knowing that your sins of the flesh have murdered your chances of ever being loved! You wicked, wicked child! It's you who are wicked, you wretch! Why have you treated me with such disdain? What have I ever done to you? Is this because I didn't know who Nick Faldo was? Oh, this goes well beyond the game of kings, dear girl. My first wife died a great while ago. Her last action was to claw her face to ribbons with me back up nine inch nails, no less. Ridding herself once and for all of a curse that hung heavy over us for years. A rubbish handicap is a lack of application, not a curse. Silence! I wanted to understand her insane ramblings. What vision had terrified her in those final years? And now I see it. For you have your mother's face. You know nothing of my mother, you vulture. Vulture? How little you know, girly girl. Now I shall make sure you live out the rest of your days as haunted as she was. As I have done. 
I have one final gift for you. And with that, the former pirate Captain Moon dropped the charred remains of a silken shawl on Tess's lap. Mother's shawl? An unfortunate demise. It... it was you. Tess's eyes became wet with grief, but she did not make a sound. Instead, she closed her eyes and sank back onto the ground under the willow tree. Pathetic. When you're done having a moment, you will return to the house, and I'll instruct you on the proper procedure, Ari, making the most of a difficult sand trap. What was that? The ground beneath the pirate captain's feet began to rumble, like cannon being positioned on the sloop decks of old. What is this? The wind began to break through the trees as if spilled by the mainsail. Wife, I said, what is? As he turned to lash cruel words upon his young wife, he suddenly froze. For now she did indeed have her mother's face. What is this ungodly vision? Constance Corcoran rose, clutching at her fire-branded shawl, her bridge to the world of the living. Her hands raised, slack-mouthed, and putrefied tongue lolling. Back, spirit! You're long dead! You're... Chuck. Pirate Moon somehow managed to thaw his frozen bones to make a hasty retreat colliding with the hanging body of Abe, which sent him sprawling. Ah, I need a mulligan! shouted the lusty pirate captain as he looked up towards the hanging body that had caused the offence. Water. Hazard. Which had now been transported into the bound body of Captain Corcoran. The former Captain Moon, his weave all askew, was deafened by the screams. His screams. The screams of the Corcorans. And the screams of the weeping willow as the branches engulfed this hideous dance of flesh, fear, and anger. Shutting out sight, sound, and the world of the living. Now, only one member of the wretched family Corcoran remains. Young Annie. The old man had promised to look after Annie, and that he did. If by look after you mean send to a workhouse. For during Tess's ordeal at the big house, younger sister Annie had her own struggles. Now treated as a common pauper, Annie would share cells with other poor unfortunates. Here, at the workhouse, she learnt the artful forms of pickpocketing and sleight of hand. Her movements as stealthy and as lithe as a... Ninja! I like ninjas. Who doesn't? I've just bought a book. About ninjas. Perhaps this would be the making of young Annie. Petty crime became her trade. The streets of Whitby became her workplace. Every day she would prey upon unsuspecting day-trippers. Mainly dull-witted ones travelling up from the Midlands from the Bass Brewing Company, or Cadbury's perhaps. Blinded by the unfamiliar sights of civilization and non-familial breeding. 
A terrifying truth. For Halloween. Harsh. But Annie was still only a child, and when her work was done, she would retreat up to the headlands, where she would count her coppers and count her blessings. It was a hard knock life, sure enough. If he says it enough, maybe it'll get in. Oh, sweet takings. The future is coming, dear sister. We will buy back the family home. All of a sudden, another opportunity presented itself. What's that? Ninja drop. Silently, she laid low and began to crawl. The rustling was coming from beyond the heather, and to her amazement, she came upon a brute of a man, gnawing fervently upon a bird, caught and plucked mm. earlier that day. Yummy, yummy, my little feathered chummy. You could say I'm about to have a quail of a time. Get in my face, birdie. Wowee, he's huge. Oh, I don't like the look of this. Ninja crawl. But she had caused commotion enough for the ears of the brute to prick up. His hands shot out and grabbed the hem of the girl's ragged skirt. Ha <laughs> ha, gotcha. You shouldn't really shout. Ninja crawl, you know, little girl. Ninja kick! Annie's kick thudded harmlessly against the giant frame of the man. <laughs> nice try. How, how long have you been there, little ninja girl? Long enough to know you're in dire need of a proper meal. But you shouldn't know that I'm here, girlie. Um, you've got something in your teeth, sir. His foul breath reeked of death and loneliness as he drew Annie in close. Was saving it for later, wasn't I? But now, you're here. Y you can't eat me. I I'm just like you. I have nothing and no one. J just like you. Ooh, you're quicker for, ain't you? Useful skill to have, sir. You could be of use to me, girl. How well do you know these parts? Very well. Well enough to know that out here in the open your sound carries well on the breeze. The brute softened his grip, impressed with the iron nerve of the little thing in his clutches. Sorry for my heavy-handedness, miss. I am indeed in need of work, but I do not know this place. All I have left is the clothes on my back and whatever is left in my purse. Then you are in luck. Release me and I will take you to find gainful employment. What? Just like that? I know of an old joiner whose age has withered his hands. He is in need of an apprentice. Perhaps this could be an opportunity for a man good with his hands. That I be. Would you mind telling your hands to be good now? Of course. The giant hands released Annie. But what will I get in return? You may have what remains of my purse. The man reached into his pocket, but to his dismay he felt nothing but lint and an old bus ticket that you think is a folded-up fiver, you know the sort... Anyway, he looked back up to the girl who was admiring a sixpence as she held it up to the light. His eyes widened in amazement. Peekaboo, I've got you. Annie turned on her heels and made off across the rugged landscape as the man, weary from travelling and lack of food, struggled to give chase. Another successful transaction. But as Annie turned to check on the progress of her pursuer... Her foot struck a hidden rock, and she tumbled to the ground. 
The imposing figure of the desperate man was soon upon her, one hand on her throat, the other clutching the offending rock. You're just the same as everyone else. All a man wants in life is to be judged fairly. Life, liberty, and maybe a little bit of drop of elm leaf and me tiny coffee. You shouldn't have seen me, girly, damn your eyes. News had spread across the writings of Yorkshire of an escaped murderer. A man in chancery upon the waves, last seen in France. The search began in earnest. Local coffee houses, salad bars, but he was nowhere to be seen. Yet on the road to Whitby, one eagle-eyed constable was about to have a bad evening. Heavens, I hate Halloween. Trick or treat, trick or treat. Yeah, no Halloween for my kids. I mean, where do they get off throwing poop at my best rose garden because I won't facilitate their tooth decay? Well, joke's on them. My roses love poop. Oh, ooh, hello. Something lying in the shadow of the field boundary wall gave him pause. What do we have here? Oh. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yes. Very funny. Whose lifeless ankle, probably belonging to an old mannequin most likely stolen from the theatre, is this? Blacktooth cowards. Well, all that is left for me to do is reach down and... Oh, my God! As a newly fathered man who wouldn't shut up about it, he was struck with grief. Oh, you poor lonely soul. I have one, just like you, at home, probably not sleeping. Come now, this is no place for you. The constable scooped the tiny body carefully into his arms and stepped out into the moonlight. Well, off we go to my superiors, little one. All that is left, for identification purposes of course, is for me to turn my head downwards and look at your... Oh my god! He discovered to his horror that the child had no eyes. They had been plucked from her head as one would pluck feathers from a bird. He laid the child down to raise the alarm. Oh my god! With whistles and cries, he drew the attention of the search team. All came running. Attention, colleagues! I have found the remains of a poor young wretch. All that is left to do is turn my body 180 degrees, make a pointing shape with my hand and... Oh my god! When the constable turned back to the body, he was astounded to witness that it had disappeared, vanished into the ether. But, but... Uh yeah. Now, uh, listen, mate, I know you haven't been sleeping well. I have a child, you know. Save it for the socials. The search team tried for hours to recover the body, but to no avail. The prisoner was eventually found. He was tried for his previous crimes and for evading capture. For the crime of jellying everything and drinking warm beer, I find you guilty. I want a whole Sarah Lee cake dusted with pork scratchings from our last meal. Sacred blue! Blasphemy! Hang him! He was hanged in Whitby. But where poor Annie disappeared to, we shall never find out. In between Instagramming the heck out of his child and planning celebrations for its year and a half birthday party. Who does that? The constable would be asked, What of the girl with the missing eyes? What of the girl with the missing eyes? There are reports of a voice. A voice high above the town. 
dancing on the breeze in and about the heather. Desperately searching for the money to restore the family home. We urge you never to roam around the North Yorkshire headlands alone with a fistful of pennies. Spookier than last year, I suppose. Bit light on the old St. Hilda, if you ask me. Ha! Maybe could have done with a bit more story wrangling from that Thaddeus Bent guy. Now he's disturbing. And he's got a podcast too, but it's got naughty words in, so don't listen to it with your children! God, not another cross-promotion! That would be spine-chilling! Well, I liked the story, Tombo. A mix of ghostly legends from the unsettling melting pot, that is. North Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I just made it all up. Sorry, what was that? North Yorkshire is weird. You're right, Bilbo. So until the next holiday special, listener... Father Christmas versus the Dark Elves. We have been the Silly History Boys. And for all the vague folklore... And all the tricks... We are, as always... Sorry! All from grace, the woes of Whitby's women. Or as we lovingly call it, Tombo, do we have that script for the Whitby Abbey ghost walk gig? Tombo? Tombo! Ah, that'll do. The part of Tess was ghoulishly delivered by Beth, Beth Star Fermor. The roles of Constance Corcoran and Annie were grave robbed by Gemma von Bob Bob Bond. The part of Honeymoon knocked on your door, ran away, and then egged your house with the aid of Larry Breadbin. The roles of Captain Corcoran, the Bishop, the Constable, and additional voices were heaped forward by Will, Uncle Bilbo Tristram. Sailor Jerry, sinister debtor, brutish man, were treated to you by the dulcet tones of Rob, Uncle Bob Bob Bond. The Judge. Sailor Moon, the aging benefactor, put on a scary mask, jumped out from behind a wall and said, Boo! By Stew the Pear Bear Perry. Trader Joe, Prisoner One, Admiral Marvin T. Plot Forward and Abe the Gardener made spooky noises in his shed by Tombo Fermor. Music by the ghoulish Scott Buckley. Sound effects and extra music by those devils at zapsplat.com. Check us out on the social. It's been so long since we've done one, I don't even remember what we're called. Just Google the Silly History Boys, or type us into Facebook, or the Twitters. Get us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your good and bad podcasts. We shall return, listeners, for yet more, well, normal tales. Well, as normal as they can be, for the likes of us. Peekaboo, I've got you. Northern, northern peekaboo, I've got you. No, can't say that line. What's wrong with me? Bad accent. Oh no, terrible. <laughs> On my birthday. <laughs>